So we um, are three weeks into 2018. I don't know if that boggles anybody else's mind, but that boggles mine. You know, to be able to say like we're 1 24th done with 2018, and I'm just now remembering to write 2018 is kind of crazy. Um, we decided at the beginning of this year that we wanted to go through the book of Acts. We're not going to necessarily go from the very beginning all the way to the very end, but for several months, for the better part of the year, we want to go through the book of Acts. And um, so far, um, if you've been with us, we've said a handful of things like we talked about um, kind of the background to it and that the book of Luke um, is, the, is the prequel and then the book of Acts is the sequel. And so what happens in Luke is just basically kind of continued into the story of the book of Acts, and it's really about what Jesus did. And Luke is about what Jesus did before he ascended, and then the book of Acts is what Jesus did through his people, through the Holy Spirit. And so um, we kind of said that the, that the book of Luke is an orderly account. It's written by Luke, who's a physician. He's trying to put things in order so that people can understand what happened. He also interviewed a bunch of people, so it's an eyewitness account. And we talked all through that, that really what happens in the book of uh, Luke leads into the book of Acts, that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and then it says that he gave proofs of the fact that he was alive for a period of 40 days. And so the book of Acts starts in this 40-day period of time where Jesus had died and had risen again, and now he's back. And so it's these 40 days. And um, so what we said is that two, two weeks ago is that Jesus says to his people, to his disciples, before he ascends into heaven, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. And we talked about waiting. We talked about how hard waiting is. We talked about the fact that, um, that we don't like to wait. We talked about the fact that waiting is not a passive thing, but it's an active thing. When we wait in a true biblical way, waiting is that we prepare ourselves to obey the Lord. Waiting is when we submit ourselves to him. And so we said that, that Jesus says, wait, go to Jerusalem and wait. And we talked about waiting. Well, then last week, Kevin spoke. Um, we do a thing where we have different people teach here. There's amazing parts of it. There's bad parts of it. The worst part is that I got to fix the thing for about 20 minutes to get it to sit right on my ear since Kevin's big old floppy ears messing it up. I'm just kidding. Um, the other bad part is when somebody preaches something better than you could have done. And it's like, you know, it's, it's humbling, which is really and actually a good thing. But, but last week, Kevin Sheridan talked about the Holy Spirit and how we talk, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. And when we do, we talk about it as an it rather than as a he, which is what he is. We um, talked last week about the Holy Spirit, that it is Christ in us that God gives the Spirit to his believers, that he enables us to live different lives. And it's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be in our lives for those of us who are believers. And so we talked about wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to pick up in um, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. That's where we're going to be. So what I just explained is 1 through 5. So we're going to pick up. So before we pick up, let's talk about the setting of Acts 1, 6 through 11. Jesus is back. It's 40 days. He's presented himself alive. He's given proof that he's alive. And today is day 40. It's the last day that Jesus will be in their presence um, in a way that they can see him with their eyes. And there Jesus is. And the summary of what we talk about today is they ask Jesus a question, and Jesus gives the answer to the question. But it also appears that he kind of says to them, you didn't ask the right question. Let me tell you what the right question is. 
and that he gives an answer to that. So I'm not big on like titling sermons, but if I was going to title a sermon today, I would call it the tale of two questions. The question that they did ask and the question they didn't ask, that Jesus gives answers to both. So that's where we're headed. That's, that's where we're at in the Bible. And so if you want to grab your Bible, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. This is what it says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, I am um, I'm a visual person and to try to visualize what this would have been like to see uh, a person one who is fully man, yet also fully God, to see a person rise into heaven before my very eyes is baffling to me. God, I pray that as we study this text, we won't just look at things like that, but we will see something way deeper in this that strikes to the heart of who we are, what we do. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that you'd penetrate them with your word. And God, um, just as even as we talked about the power of the Spirit last week, your, your word says that Paul preached without persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that that would be the case today. And I also think of um, Paul speaking that, that the Spirit was there with power um, through conviction. God, I pray that today um, your word would convict our hearts. I pray that it would start in mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So they start off asking a question. And the question that they ask is, the, is this. They say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think if you first read this, if you don't know much about the Bible and you just read this, you're kind of like, that is a strange question. But So I want to give a little bit of time to explain why I think that they asked that question. The first part is this. If you know anything about Jewish history, they, they had a very troubled history. It was kind of out of nowhere. God comes to a guy by the name of Abraham. I'm not going to go through all of it. But they have some heights and some lows. They go, they have time where they're in, as a nation, they're in slavery. They have time when they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. And so lots of things transpire until the time where they go into this promised land that God promised that, they would, that he would give them. And they establish a kingdom. And there's a guy by the name of Saul who's a king, has some, some good moments, but some pretty bad moments. But eventually a guy by the name of David becomes king. And for those of you who do know about the Bible, what, what's said about David? David is a man after God's own heart. And so we have this king. It's this great time of history with this king who has a heart after God. And he lives and he dies. And then his son, Solomon, who's considered to be the wisest man that's ever lived, becomes king. And each of them are kings for about 40 years, according to the scripture. So they have this 80-year period of time in their history that's like the height. 
They have the height of this. They, they, they've expanded their territory. They've been able to keep their enemies at bay. And, and there's a time of peace with Solomon, and they build a temple. It's this beautiful, holy, amazing place where God's presence will dwell. And so the, the, the Jewish people, they would look back at the time of this kingdom as being the height of it. Like this was the good old days. This was the glory days. Um, this was like us, senior year, football season. This, this was the glory days, you know? And so they have these glory days. So one of the reasons why they're asking this question is because they looked back with fondness of that time. There was also, not only did um, they look back on that time, but there was ton of, tons of prophecy all throughout the prophets talking about that one day God would restore the kingdom because what happens is after Solomon, the kingdom divides. There's this split. It breaks into civil war. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They're each taken over by Assyria and by Babylon. And then, then if you know history, which I don't, I have to study a ton, and I can listen to what Tristan teaches me from what she's learning in Kevin's class, even about Alexander the Great. Um, but what happens is, is that the, the Jewish people, right, they had this kingdom, it gets divided, the people get, it gets taken over, Persia comes in and takes over, then eventually Alexander the Great, right, Kevin? He brings some people through, they take over, so the Greeks kind of take over, and so the Jews are subject to other people. Then the Romans come in and they take over. And so when this is transpiring, they have had many, 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 many years of being ruled by other people. And it's this horrible thing because we're subject to all these other rules. We're subject to these evil, tyrantic, if that's the right way to say it, leaders. And so it's just this, this devastating thing. So they longed for the days when we, were, we had the king. When we had our laws and our rules and our regulations, this is what we want to go back to. But then all throughout that time, there was tons of prophecy about one day God was going to change it. There was going to be a Messiah who was going to come. And it was going to change everything. And then Jesus shows up, right? And he starts saying things like, I am, implying that he is God. He is equal to God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, he basically says, you know that Messiah you're looking for? You're looking at him. And the disciples are kind of like, can it be we have found the Messiah? So then, as Jesus is living, he talks all about a kingdom. If you read through Matthew, Mark, or Luke, I challenge you to get a highlighter and highlight every time it says kingdom. You will get blown away. It is all across the place. And Jesus said things like the kingdom is like, and he would explain things. He, he said, um, it says, it is said about Jesus that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He said that the kingdom is at hand. He said that the parables that he tells hold the secrets to the kingdom. He said that the kingdom is like a mustard seed. He said the kingdom is coming with power. And then this Jesus, who's talking all about this kingdom, he rides into town on a donkey. And if you know much about history, that is when you ride into town on a donkey, you're announcing yourself as king. So they longed for a king. They longed for their kingdom. There was prophecy of a coming king. Jesus says he's the king. He rides into town on a donkey saying, I'm king. And then he gets a crown. It's not a golden crown, but it's a crown of thorns. He gets a robe. It's a purple robe. Purple signifies royalty. He gets this, and he gets this inscription put above him that says, the king of the Jews. And he, he's raised up not onto a throne, but onto a cross. And he dies. 
So imagine you are this Jewish person who's longed for it, who's dreamed of of the kingdom coming back. You've longed for it. You've dreamed of it. There's prophecy talking about it. And then this guy who does this extraordinary things says he is that king. And you're like, this is it, this is it. And then he dies and he's put in a tomb. The height of which you were drops to huge depths. But then he rises from the dead three days later. And he shows that he's a king who has victory even over death. And this excitement about this kingdom is building again, right? And then, even as we go, Jesus is alive and he's, he's, he's back and he's providing proofs for 40 days. In verse 3, Acts, Acts 1, 3, what does it say? It says he's, he's there for the 40 days giving proof. And then it says, and speaking about the kingdom of God. So these people longed for a king. They they read prophecy. They, they knew the prophecy that one day a king was going to come. And then this Jesus is talking about being a king and he rises from the dead. And he's speaking to them about the kingdom. And that is why they say, will you at this time restore the kingdom? It's no wonder that they ask it. But I think that if you really look closely into that question, you're going to see two things. Will you at this time restore the kingdom the first thing is this, is they say, will you restore the kingdom? Now that Greek word for restore means bring back to the former condition. Now all throughout prophecy, there were times where it talked about restoring, but I can't help but wonder if when they're asking Jesus, will you restore the kingdom to the former condition, are they asking Jesus to do what he wants to do or what they want him to do? Are they asking him, Jesus, you be king? Or are they saying, Jesus, give us, give us a king like David? Do they really want Jesus to be their king or do they want their version of the kingdom to be what the kingdom is? They were under that Roman control. They didn't like it. They wanted their prosperity. They wanted their freedom back. They wanted their peace back. They didn't want the civil war and all that came with it. They didn't want the exile. They didn't want any of that stuff. I think that it's very possible that when they say, will you restore to the former condition the kingdom, they wanted what they wanted. They had their dreams of what they wanted the, the kingdom that comes back to look like. I think that it's very possible here that they cared more about their dreams coming true than God fulfilling his plans. And I think that that is something that cripples us as individuals and cripples the church all across the world. Is if we're really honest, we want our plans, our dreams to come true more so than we want God's dreams to come true, God's plans to come true. We want to have that nice house with the white picket fence, and we want to ha have a spouse and 2.5 kids and a pet, preferably a dog, not a cat. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So we want our dreams to come true. And I think that as I read this, I can't help but wonder when they say, will you restore the kingdom back to its former condition if they're not actually saying, make our dreams come true? I think it's something that, that we struggle with. So then it goes on, and the second thing that pops out to me is they say, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Who do they want to be in charge? Them. Right? 
they want this kingdom to be limited. But if you look, Jesus is not just king over Israel. Jesus is coming not to just establish a kingdom right here and now. He's coming to establish an everlasting, eternal kingdom that is not just for one group of people, but the kingdom is for everyone. The kingdom is at hand. Now, does everybody get into that kingdom? Not necessarily. But he comes with a much broader view of what he's about to do than what I think they think he's about to do. They say, will you restore back to its former condition for Israel, this kingdom? And I think what Jesus would say to him, if he would have answered that question directly, is I have plans far bigger than you can imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says that God can do exceedingly abundant beyond all we can ask or imagine, beyond all we can dream or think. And how many times do we have this dream of what we think it would be so awesome if God would do this? And I think he just laughs at how small we make him. He laughs at how, how silly our little request is. And he's like, I have something so much bigger than that, so much beyond that. You know, there's times where people can be like, man, I just really dream that I could be off of drugs. God does not just have a dream for a person that is struggling with addiction that they just would no longer use drugs. It's far too small of a vision. It's far too small of a dream. We have a God who doesn't want to just restore the kingdom to Israel, but he wants to bring a kingdom that will blow us away. And I think that so often we settle for our dreams rather than his plans. They wanted a temporary kingdom, it appears to me, rather than an eternal kingdom. They wanted it to be for a certain group of people and not established for everyone. I think if you really study much about this uh, era of time, racism was, was there. They hated the Samaritans. They didn't want this kingdom to be possible for Samaritans. But Jesus had a much bigger kingdom in mind. Um, I really think as I read this, I wonder if they cared more about their dreams than the fulfillment of God's plans. The second thing, as I, as I kind of read through this and look and listen, like they, these people, the Jews at this time, they studied, they listened, they interpreted the scriptures, and they had figured out how this Messiah was going to come. He was going to be a military king. But the problem is, is they kind of left out a lot of the other prophecy that talked about him being a suffering servant. But they had figured out what he was going to look like, how he was going to look, so they knew exactly what they should look for. And you know what I've found in my life is sometimes we can become so focused on trying to figure out what God looks like that when he shows up, we miss him. And I think that it's very possible that they were looking so desperately for what they thought he was going to look like that they almost missed him. In fact, this past week I've read a ton of stuff um, about Jewish people and their views of Jesus. And most Jewish people, many Jewish people I guess I should say, and, and in fact even in this article I read, they, they say there's no way that Jesus could have been the Messiah because he did not bring a visible earthly kingdom. They had it figured out of what he was supposed to do, and he didn't do it. And, and as I read through this, they, they, they were the mindset that Jesus was coming one time and he was going to fulfill everything that he said he was going to fulfill. And he did, but they didn't give any thought to the process that, that he comes here, but that he's also coming back. 
And we live in this he already did but has not yet fully done type of time frame. And they couldn't fathom that. And, and, and as I was thinking through this and, and, and preparing for this, I kept thinking, how often are we like this, that, that we, we try to figure it out so much that we miss Jesus? I can tell you for me, there are many times where I'm coming and I want God's plans to be revealed to me more than I want God. God, am I supposed to, this was years ago, God, am I supposed to go to seminary? God, what job should I have? Who should I marry? Um, should we try to have kids now or should we wait? And should we use birth control or should we do, like, there's all of these things that we, we, we start trying to give God to just be this genie in the bottle and be like, okay, I need my questions answered. It's like that magic eight ball, right? We ask him a question, we shake it up. Ah, it didn't answer right. I guess I'll ask again tomorrow morning. But I think that a very real danger, and I think that maybe where they fell into is that they were wanting Jesus' plans to be revealed more so than they wanted him. There's times, I'll admit, there's times where, where I go to the word and what I really want is God to tell me exactly what I'm supposed to preach, how I'm supposed to preach, and when I'm supposed to preach it, rather than sitting with this awesome and amazing God. There's times where I come to the Word and I want to know exactly what should this church look like? How should we structure it? And who should do this? And how should we do that? And I can sit down and I can work so hard on trying to figure out His plans that I miss Him. I think it's a, it's a danger that, that they may very well have fallen into that I think that we can fall into is when we seek His plan more than Him. Um... I'm, I've become convinced of this, that if you seek Christ, he will reveal his plan to you. But if you seek his plan, you can miss him altogether. Now, as we kind of think back to the people in this day and age, and, and Jewish people as a whole, that they don't, under, they don't accept that Jesus was the Messiah, one of the other reasons is this, is because they could not fathom that Jesus could be fully man and fully God got to be one or the other. They can't fathom that. They couldn't fathom the fact that we believe in a uh, monotheistic one God made up of three persons. That, that, that can't be. That therefore, Jesus cannot be the Messiah because he claimed to be God, and the Messiah is not supposed to be God because they saw it and they figured it out. They had it all figured out so much so that when he came, they missed him. And I think we run that very real danger even now. I think when they ask, will you restore to the kingdom of Israel? I think what Jesus is saying um, behind the scenes is, I got a way bigger plan than that. But his, his true answer of what he says is, it's not for you to worry about the time. I don't, I don't know if you've ever paid attention, but there are many people throughout history that have decided the exact day when Jesus is coming back, and they made this big announcement that uh, September 24th, 1946, Jesus is coming back, got to be ready. And guess what? He didn't. He, he didn't. And the Bible says that he'll come like a thief in the night. So if anybody predicts it, there's a great chance they're wrong. But with that being said, I'll tell you when he's coming back. It's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but I think we try to figure out these plans so much, and we miss Jesus. Um, so Jesus says to him, he says, are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But then at the very end, he kind of gives another answer. His other answer is, when I come back. 
it's kind of a scary thing to talk about and kind of a weird thing to talk about, but if you read the word, you cannot get away from the fact that one day Jesus is coming back. It's all throughout the story of the Bible. He's coming back. So, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's not for you to know the times. My plan is way bigger than you can imagine. And then I feel like he kind of gives the second, that gives an, an answer to a question that they didn't ask. Here's what I think he says is this. He says, um, so it says, will you restore the kingdom? He says, not for you to know the time and season. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Here's what I think is going on here. I think, and this is a horrible analogy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Picture that the entire time Jesus was on earth, it was a job interview. And he was kind of interviewing the, the disciples. This is probably not the, theologically very accurate, but let's pretend that he's interviewing the disciples to decide if he was going to hire them for the job. And then he dies and he comes back, and now he's getting ready to say, yes, you know, you're hired, no, you're not. Picture, if, if that's the case, picture I'm sitting in a job interview, the, the, the boss man is just getting ready to hire me, and I have the option to ask one of two questions, and I choose my question, and, and, and here's my first question. Hey, what day's payday? How do you think that job interview is going to go if my first question is, what day is payday? Not good. The second question is, how is it that you want me to work? And I really think that they ask, when is payday? When are you coming back? When is all of this going to be done with? When are you going to restore the kingdom? Rather than saying, what is it that you desire from me until you come back? I think that's the right question. When we come to this text, when we, when we think through that, the question is not when, the question is what. What do we, as members of the king's court, do with our lives? What do we, as servants of the king, do with our lives? And I think that that is the question that he actually answers even more fully. And this is what he says. He says, you will be my witnesses. See, I think that what happens so often, we fall into this thing of wanting our dreams to come true more so than God's. We, we can fall into this thing of wanting to figure God out more so than just know him. But I think what God's saying is, I want those of you who know me, those of you who've been indwelled by the Spirit, I want you to be my witnesses. This past week at House Church, um, I'm, hopefully I'm not going to embarrass Keith, but Keith... Um, has had multiple times when he has found out that he, his job is gone. He's lost his job. And one of the times in particular that he was sharing, and I might be boogering up the, the story, um, so you have to ask him for better details, but he's sitting there in the cafeteria and he's talking to somebody, and he's just, somebody asks him a question, and he starts telling them about Jesus. Well, here's what Jesus has done, and here's whatever. And, and then someone else says, wait, I, I got a question. And then they start asking him, and before long, Keith who would never put himself in this position, is standing there basically like in a situation like this, almost like preaching the good news of Jesus to all the people in the cafeteria. He's just being a witness, right? What is a witness? If you, if you see a crime happen, what are the police going to ask you? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience? I think that we make this thing so much more complicated than what it is. If, if we are to live our lives for Christ, if, if the Spirit has come into our lives, what should our lives look like? Our lives should look like 
where we live our lives to tell people what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've experienced about Christ. That's it. It's, it's pretty simple. What'd you see? What'd you hear? What'd you experience? But here's the other part about that. Um, the disciples, they're called to be the witnesses. So what things could they say? They could say, you know what? Jesus calmed a storm. There was this huge storm and he calmed the storm. It was nuts. They could say things like, there was one day Jesus came out and he was just walking on water. We saw it with our eyes. It didn't make any sense, but the dude was walking on water. They could say things like, he healed people. We saw him, he died, and then he rose again. They, they just, the, they're being witnesses. And as we continue to go through the book of Acts, what you're going to see is that these people are just being witnesses. What did they see? What did they hear? And what did they experience? They would be able to share easily what they saw. They'd be able to share what they heard. They could, they could say that they heard things like Jesus said that he didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. They could say all of these different things about what they heard Jesus say. They could talk about what things they experienced. They could say, we sat down and we ate a meal with him. We, they could say, we were there when there was only a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. almost said loaves of fish, but that wouldn't make much sense. We were there and... All of a the sudden, there was enough food for 5,000 men plus women and children to eat. They're just throughout, they're going to talk about what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. And so many times I think we want to know the when and, the, and, and what's my job supposed to be and where am I supposed to do this and is this the person I'm supposed to marry? Are we going to have kids and, and, and why aren't we having more kids? And, and we can have all of these different things where we're so wrapped up in these plans. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, just be my witnesses. That's what this life is about. Keith, in, in talking about the job thing, he said, I've gotten to a point to where my job is no longer, I don't view my job as the way that God uses for me to provide food for my table, for me to pay my bills. That's not what my job is. My job is simply a place where I'm supposed to go to be who God has called me to be. <laughs> that just sends a knife through me. How often is our job the way that we, we, that we need that job because that's the way we're going to pay our bills and that's the way we're going to do it rather than just saying, God's going to take care of all that. The reason why I have the job that I have is so that I can be his witness there. Being a witness is pretty easy. It's just sharing what you see, what you have heard, and what you experience. But then there's a, this part's a little harder. You know the word for witness in the Greek language? It's the word martis. It's where we get our word martyr. What is a martyr? Martyr is someone who is killed for their religious belief. So the easy part is Jesus is saying to him, hey, just tell what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. But you know what he's also saying? He's saying this. He's saying, be my martyr. That part's much harder. I think what he's saying is, put to death your dreams. I didn't create you. I didn't indwell you with the Spirit for you to have a house with a white picket fence with 2.5 kids and a dog or a cat. His plan is so much bigger, so much deeper, so much broader. He wants to be his witnesses. He wants us to tell what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, um, but he wants us to be a martyr. 
Here's the thing, most of us, I would say 99.999% of us in this room will never have to decide, do we say we love Jesus and get killed or do we not? In a way, that's great news. But in another way, that's absolutely horrible news. Because it's very easy for us to live in that lukewarm stage of life. I think the harder decision that we have to make is every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single second, are we going to die to our plans and dreams and live to be his witness or are we going to live for ours? As we continue on through the book of Acts, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a group of people that, th- that they don't live for their dreams. They live to be his witnesses. I think you're gonna, we're going to see that a ton. So we're called to be his witnesses. We're called to be his martyrs. And then he even gives us the where. He says, I want you to do this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If you don't know much about that area, you, there's a lot of Bibles that have a map, but, but let's start. It's, he's basically saying kind of like, I'll use our equivalent, city, state, neighboring area to the ends of the earth. What, he, what it's almost like if you've ever been to a pond or to a creek or river, any type of water, you throw up a big rock in the air, it goes and it lands, it makes a splash, and you see the splash just... What Jesus is saying is, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to tell what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've experienced, and I want you to do it right there and watch as it expands. There'll be a rippling effect. The way that I've thought about it, the way that even in our house church probably 10 years ago, we started saying it, started describing it, was, is that we are called to be his witnesses here, there, and everywhere. What is your here? Maybe your here is in your family. Maybe your here is is in your home. Maybe your here is your actual neighborhood. Maybe it's that you feel like you're at work all the time, and so your here is at work. But all of us have a place that is our here, and God has called us to be his witnesses, to figure out some sort of way, which we'll talk more about in a minute, of how we just share what we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've experienced right here. There's also a there component. Um, the there, it, he, Jesus includes Samaria. They hated Samaria. There's places that you hate. And guess what? Maybe God is calling you to go there and to be his witness. I hate that I just said that because I despise hospitals. And I feel like God might be saying, maybe there's somehow, some way that you should go to some hospitals. If you, anybody in here, if you are ever in the hospital, a lot of pastors will do um, hospital visits. Um, I try to send Ron. Um, <laughs> if you're ever in the hospital and I come to see you, it's not because, if I don't come to see you, it's not because I don't love you. If I come to see you, it is because I love the Lord. But God calls us to do things here. He calls us to do things there. Where's the There. It's a place that you're not a lot, but you are sometimes. Maybe it's a restaurant you go to. How can you display Jesus to people? How can you tell about what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced about Jesus, even in a restaurant? All sorts of other places. There's the everywhere component. And maybe a lot of you are saying, look, I don't even have a passport. How am I going to... How am I going to make his name known anywhere else other than here? Or, or I don't like planes or whatever it is. There's lots of ways. Yes, there's things like going on a mission trip, but there's also things like just prayer. 
figuring out an area where maybe the name of the Lord is not yet known and praying. Maybe that's a way that you witness to everywhere. Maybe it's that you find a, a missionary to support. There's lots of ways, but God has called us, Jesus has called us to be his witnesses, tell what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced, to, to die to our own dreams and to share that here, there, and everywhere. Now, how long do we do this? It's real easy. The very end of this says, and he will come back. So guess what? That's what we're called to do until the day that he comes back. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a house with a white picket fence. It doesn't mean that you can't have 2.5 kids. Well, you can't have 2.5 kids, but you could, that would be weird. But you could have two and another person could have three and it could average 2.5. It doesn't mean that you can't have those things, but where is your heart? What are your dreams? Are your dreams to, to be who God wants you to be or to have the things that you want to have? But God has called us to be his witnesses until he comes back. Now, I have left off the most important verse of this entire section because if I stop now, every one of us is going to go out trying our hardest to be the best person we can be, feeling like there's yet another way where we need to try to earn our salvation and or earn God's pleasure. Like, yeah, God saved us, but now I have to get to work or he's going to be mad at me. Here's what that verse is. It's in verse 8. Here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The key component to living your life as a witness, the key component to not living your own dreams, of not trying to, to, to figure his plans out so much that you miss him, the key is the Spirit. The key is the Spirit. The, key, the Spirit is where the power comes from. It's, it, as, as we read through the book of Acts, we're going to see that the disciples, they're given a power in the message. They're given power in their boldness. They're given power, power in his authority. They're giving power with conviction that comes around it. They have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. For those of us who are followers, those of us who, who have the Spirit, we have the exact same power that Jesus did. We talked about this verse at House Church this past week. The hardest verse in the Bible for me to, to wrap my mind around is in the book of John. It says, you will do greater things than Jesus did. We as followers of Christ, we as the church, the body of Christ, we are, it's said of us that we will do greater things than Jesus did. Try to wrap your mind around that. But the thing about it is God has given us his spirit. And it is that spirit that brings us power. That when, when, when we speak that message, it's not just us trying to figure out some sort of way that I can talk about it, but it's God giving us the words to speak, sh sharing the time. I'm sure even, even I, we were talking to house church and people said, we were talking, when was the time you remember the spirit working in your life? It's like, I mean, even Sundays, there's been times where, where I know the microphone's up there. I know I'm supposed to say something and I just don't want to say it. And I feel like God's just, just starting to punch me. The Spirit is working inside of me. I'm supposed to do something. I don't want to do it. But the thing is, is the key to all of this is the Spirit. It's the Spirit that gives the power to guide us, that, to um, give us gifts. It's the Spirit that convicts. The Spirit is who's drawing people to himself. Um, uh, John 6, 44, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit enables them. 
So God, through his spirit, can lead us to the people to be witnesses to that he is already at work on. That's so cool. John 12, 32 says that Jesus is speaking. He says he's going to go, and when he goes, he is going to draw all people to himself. So God is going to take us where he wants us. He's, he's, he's working. Um, uh, we're supposed to plant seeds, water them, right? And so he's going to take us where we are supposed to be to, to be his witnesses. It is the spirit that... Um, gives us the words to speak that advocates for us, that teaches us, that reminds us, that gives us hope, that gives us peace, that gives us joy, that enables us to, with love, with patience, with gentleness, with self-control, with kindness. Here's the other thing with this is, is, it is it's easy to be a witness with your words. It's not always easy to be a witness with your life. The reason why the people were willing to sit and listen to Keith is because they've seen humility. If I am this person who's talking all about the love of Christ, and yet when someone turns their back, I'm talking about that piece of trash that we work with. You think they're going to listen to a word I have to say? The Spirit not only will give us the words to speak, but the Spirit is working in our lives to make us look more like Jesus. The Spirit enables us to live different lives. Let's wrap this up. They ask, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I think that it's very possible their dreams got in the way. They wanted their dreams to come true and not God's plans. But I also think that there's a danger that we look after his plans. We try to figure him out so much that we miss him. But what we're called to do, what we're called to be, is just to be his witnesses. Just share what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced about Christ. Wherever it is that we go. And we must do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. After all this happens, Jesus ascends into heaven. And it is said that he is seated at the right hand of God as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He says that it is better that he goes so that we will receive the Spirit and through the Spirit, my prayer is for you, my prayer is for me, that through the Spirit, even today, he puts to death our dreams. My prayer is that he leads us to seeking him and not just his plans. And that he enables us to live our lives with words and with actions. What we've seen, what we've heard, and what we've experienced. And that we would be willing to do that to all people. Let's pray. God, if I am truly honest, there are people that I think are too far gone and or people that I just don't want you to save. I can be like the older brother of the prodigal son. God, I acknowledge that really oftentimes I would rather have what I want than what you have. God, I, um, 
I truly pray for myself and for all of us here that we would just want more of you. That we would see such an amazing, beautiful, wonderful picture of who you are and what you're like. That we will truly bow our knee to you. God, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you're like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.